what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So we're just getting ready for departure here shortly. A little bit nervous. This is going to be the first time. Engines are finally on, though, so... Um, that noise you can hear is probably the rumbling in the background and also the wind again. Smell of smoke, engine oil, grease. Vibe is everybody's pretty excited. So here we go. No turning back now. This is Amber. So my name is Amber Chasegreen. I'm from Prince Rupert, BC. Our, our mission uh, with, with Mokara is to save lives at sea. Mokara, my friend in Irish, is a search and rescue mission supported by two international NGOs, Refugee Rescue and Sea Eye. Amber is a volunteer rescuer. She's standing on the deck of the Sea Eye 4. It's a 170-foot-long ship that can sleep hundreds of people, including its 25 crew members. The ship is docked now, mostly empty. But as the engines turn on, they're heading into the central Mediterranean Sea, looking to save lives. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Dock Project. Every year, thousands of asylum seekers cross the Mediterranean in small, ramshackle boats, trying to get to Europe. They come from the Middle East and parts of Africa, people fleeing war and political and religious persecution. But often, the water that seems like their only hope is just as dangerous. The route, it can be deadly. I don't know if you can prepare for a transit like that. Like, you're basically trying to cross a sea in an unseaworthy vessel that's not built to be on the water, let alone for that period of time, or for that many people on board. So um, there's so many things. You know, what if we don't find you? What... What if there's an accident? What, you know, what if you run out of water? What if you capsize? For people to choose to make that transit or to take that risk, like, I, I can't even imagine what their life might must be like. It's got to be, you know, so brutal or so horrible to take that risk, especially if you're pregnant or you've got kids with you. An estimated 20,000 people have died in the central Mediterranean since 2014. It's exactly the area Amber is heading into. And that's why she's going, to try to prevent more deaths. The CI-4 is equipped with smaller rescue boats called RIBS, R-H-I-B, for rigid hull inflatable boat, or what most people know as Zodiacs. Amber will lead one of the ribs, taking a team into the search and rescue zone, or SAR zone. And there, she hopes to help what they call, in search and rescue lingo, a target, a vessel in distress, with dozens of people on board. As lead, Amber is responsible for making very quick decisions to keep both her crew and the people she's trying to help safe. 
I'm expecting it's going to be a lot of hard work. There's going to be lack of sleep, some high emotional stress. Uh, we might see some people in a lot of pain, you know, both emotionally and or physically. This won't be the first time Amber has rescued people at sea. She's a dedicated search and rescue worker. Close to 15 years, she's saved countless lives in her own waters back home in British Columbia. But now, for the first time, she's bringing those skills to the central Mediterranean. Okay. The CI-4 is currently docked in the port of Boreana, Spain. In the following weeks, it will head south at five to eight knots towards the northern tip of Africa through the waters of the central Mediterranean. Recording the journey on her cell phone, Amber takes us with her. So today is December 6th. It was the first day that I came on board CI4, got to meet all the crew. The atmosphere is really nice so far. I have uh, a roommate. She's going to be my communicator. Her name is Sophie. She's from England, so get to share a small space and be living on the ship for the next six weeks. We should be in port maybe five or six days. Going to be doing some training. Um, it's nice to be on and near the water and um, looking forward to what's coming next. Growing up, I lived on an island in a community that had no roads, no stores, <laughs> um, no amenities or facilities like water. We did have power. Um, we did have running water, but that's only because we collected rainwater and uh, my dad plumbed it through our house. It was in a small cove called Crippen Cove on Digby Island. Uh, which is about, you know, a 10-minute boat ride to the city of Prince Rupert. And we still went to school every day, and my parents went to work every day. So we had uh, originally just one speedboat. Then uh, we went to two, so my parents each had one. And a little rowboat, stuff like that. When you live right on the water, you get to see storms, like really see rough weather. So there was days where we either didn't go to school um, or to soccer or dance or anything like that. Uh, or maybe even my parents didn't go to work because it was too ugly out. On one of those days, I remember being inside and uh, I think I was quite young. And you can see the water in front of our in front of her house quite uh, clearly. And I don't know how my dad noticed it, but I he he saw a light and cruised over. It was kind of by where we're, there was a rock. And there was a guy that had either broken down or something had happened. Um, and he was being tossed around in the wind and the waves. And uh, my dad rescued him and and brought him into the house and dried him off and got him a coffee and yeah it was just you know it was just the right thing to do this person was out there they needed help so yeah 
So we're just getting ready for departure here shortly. A little bit nervous, this is gonna be the first time. Engines are finally on though, so um, that noise you can hear is probably the rumbling in the background and also the wind again. Smell of smoke, engine oil, grease. Vibe is everybody's pretty excited. So here we go. No turning back now. It's actually really nice to be out towards sea now. So sailing in the direction, um, I guess it would be eastward, southeast eventually towards uh, the northern part of Africa. So definitely can feel the roll of the ship. Um, yeah, just rolling with the waves. The weather so far is gorgeous today. Um, amazing sunset I just saw to the west as we were cleaning off the boat and just a very light breeze, smell of the ocean, sounds of the ship, all for now. So today was our last training day officially on the ribs because we will be entering the SAR zone first thing tomorrow morning or possibly even one of them late tonight. Um, it was exhausting. I, there We trained a lot of different things. I mean, it, it all went fairly well, but doing CPR on a rib with no space to move and waves and having a team ready and trying to communicate, definitely exhausting. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that we don't have to deal with those sorts of situations. Um, I expect I'll be full of adrenaline uh, when when the time comes. I'm already covered in bruises and we haven't even started the uh, the rescues yet. So, um, anticipation in the air. Night shifts are starting. People are, I wouldn't say getting anxious. I mean, I think they're excited, but it's also, wow, okay, this is really happening now. We're, we're almost there. Hoping to get to bed really early tonight um, because I'm exhausted and need a good light sleep before we start out at 24-7. Okay, we've spotted our first target. This is going to be our first possible rescue. We've been steaming full ahead since midnight last night. You can definitely start to feel the tension not tension, but need for urgency uh, within the crew to have everything ready. Some people have slept, some people haven't. Um, it's uh, calm, which is good, but I can definitely start to feel my own personal nerves sort of ramping up, uh, you know, in high alert anytime the radio goes off, anything like that. So here we go. It's, um, it's gonna be a day. Stop the engine! It stopped, yeah. Okay, we're gonna do a circle, okay? Our first rescue was actually uh, two boats simultaneously. Uh, Mokara being the faster rib relaunched first and uh, sent to the furthest um, target, about a mile or so, a couple miles away. Luckily, the weather was uh, pretty decent and cooperative.
when we were out there, you know, getting first on scene and sort of especially seeing it for the first time, just like, oh, my God, um, definitely a lot of emotions came flooding in then. Just people packed like there was there was no free space on the deck. Um, they were really low in the water and you could see anytime there was a bigger wave sort of you know a little bit a little bit of water coming over the side just anxiety as we come up and and really trying to have to do that crowd control on such a small boat and then we're going to give you life jackets we're going to give you life jackets okay the first thing that happens is we get on scene we do an assessment, we check for injuries, we find out how many people, if there's any women and children. Um, everybody gets a life jacket and we demonstrate how to put it on. So we handed out those. You, I need you. We have enough for everyone, okay? Everyone will get a life vest, everyone. Yeah? Okay, I show you how to put on the life vest. Take it over your head. Um, surprisingly, the people were fairly calm. Now, whether that was due to extreme exhaustion and already being out on a very small wooden boat um, or other reasons, it's unclear. Um, they didn't speak English, but uh, we managed to communicate that we would take them uh, to Europe and that they were being rescued. Uh, with the vessel being so relaxed we were actually able to come mostly um, almost right alongside and just one by one bring people into the rib and get them sorted we got them on board uh, all 15 we were able to do in one go and made our way back to the mothership the hand yes okay one foot on the letter perfect uh, we had one young man he looks so traumatized and you know he kept calling to us and begging for us to come and get him and you know we're we're, we're trying to explain yes we will we are coming we are coming please wait please wait and I I just I couldn't see what was wrong I thought it you know it was just how he was feeling at the time and you know just you know ready to give up uh, once we got him on board and we were trying to disembark him, uh, basically you put one foot up on the tube and we count and we you put your hands up to our two deck persons on the main ship and they pull you up and you climb up the stairs as we push from below. I realized then that this individual had a dislocated shoulder and uh, his arm was just hanging um, like it wasn't attached to his body anymore uh, so that's why I mean in addition to everything that he's obviously gone to that that's why he was so distraught and pleading for help um, obviously we had to um, just do a one-handed recovery onto the ship for disembarkation um, and really push him up but the doctors were able to uh, pop his his shoulder back in and provide him with a, a sling and a bit of a brace um, and he was actually very very grateful obviously but um, had a smile on his face 
uh, from then on. So it was it was good to see. Now we come to you. Yeah. While we were disembarking um, the first rescue, our sister vessel Maria was on scene at uh, the second target, which was much larger and had about 65 or so people on board. So we quickly uh, proceeded there to assist. Uh, they had already um, begun to uh, attempt calming the crowd and doing some crowd control. This target was significantly more anxious. Um, there was lots of people standing, lots of commotion going on, um, which is actually really unsafe because these boats are super unstable. Yeah, okay. Wait. For me, that I think was when. Yes, I was still doing my job and I had things to do, but I wasn't, it wasn't our turn to be in pulling the people on board and, and doing the rescue portion of it. So, you know, people on whatever side of the, the boat we're facing, they don't understand why you're not coming in at the same time to help them. And they're calling to you and they're begging for you to come and, and help them because they, they want to be off. Um, and that that was really hard to sort of watch and hear and and try and communicate back like we're gonna come we're, we're we are coming just just please sit down please be patient so yeah that that was really hard not to just like rush in and help we can only help so many people at once You often get people that they're just, they're so eager to get off that boat that they're basically jumping onto your rib before you're ready. You know, you're trying to do it nice and controlled and safely. There was definitely a few times throughout the rescue where, you know, they they jumped before we were ready or before we were close enough or when a wave was there and... Uh, some toes touched the water for sure and we had to pull a few people in um, over the side or over the bow. I do remember a woman, you know, she had her arms sort of over the bow and I was holding on to her, but her legs were in the water. And it was like that point where you're like, you need to get this person in the boat. Um, So not only was it dangerous that we were like, she was so close to the water and partially in the water uh, we were still really close to the other vessel so any wave or anything that came up you know she could have been squished in between the other boat so um, I mean it was it was good we managed to get her in and, and, and it was fine and we didn't have too many situations like that I mean it's a bit of a catch 22 it showed the rest of the people like this is why you can't jump and you need to listen to us because it's super dangerous and you'll end up in the water or you'll squished or hurt it was a whirlwind of, 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 of a couple of days um, in and out of the water with the ribs every few hours I think the first uh, two boats back to back I think we were on the water 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 it was like at least 5 hours 
five or six hours, and um, and then afterwards we had to you know, rinse everything down and prep and make sure we were ready as we were on our way to the next location. Okay. The women now, now. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, now, now. One of the ones we came up to, it was so low in the water. We started taking people off and done a couple of shuttles, and it felt like there was just like a never, there just kept being the same amount of people. And we didn't know why. And then we realized and we asked, there was a second level, but the boat was so small, it's so low in the water, that we just assumed that there was no room for another level to be on that boat. It was crazy just because the boat was, it was just so small. They were, yeah, very, very full days. Um, we were actually forced uh, out of the SAR zone eventually uh, due to some really nasty uh, weather that was coming through. So in my mind, um, I guess I expected to to sort of be go, go, go for three or four days versus just the two. Um, but... Yeah, again, you can't save anybody if if you're not safe yourself. The emotions on board upon arrival were mixed, really. <laughs> I saw everything from praying hands and 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 tears, crying to thumbs up, high fives, uh, taking selfies and videos to send to friends and family. Um, we had one woman, um, when she got on board, she only spoke French, which I understood, and she was just so thankful. She was in tears and just, merci madame, merci madame, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we had another once he got on board, he basically kneeled down and was kissing the deck of the rib over and over and over again. Just so grateful to be off of that wooden boat and, and at sea. I think they'd been at sea for almost four days. <laughs> Many people were, you know, almost just blank stares. And again... I don't know if it was um, still in shock and, and just the traumatic experience or the inability to, to process anymore. Um, I've been told it's, uh, you know, the trauma doesn't end when they get on the rescue boat. It's, uh, it's a long process throughout the whole rescue and often um, after the fact on the mothership, the voyage, and even throughout the rest of the next few weeks or months as they disembark um, and uh, go through the rest of the process of um, yeah, seeking to build their new lives and documentation and the authorities in Europe. Casey here. Every year, thousands of asylum seekers attempt to cross the Mediterranean. A lot of them don't make it. One of the major threats to those attempting the crossing is the Libyan Coast Guard. Libyan officials have been accused of human smuggling, extortion, even torture. 
So anxiety is high until search and rescue missions, SARS, like this one, pick them up. 223 guests from all over the Middle East and Africa are now on board the ship. But their journey is not over. The CI-4 needs to be granted a port of safety. That can take days, sometimes weeks. Members of Refugee Rescue say delaying the granting of a port of safety can be deliberate, a way of slowing down the flow of refugees into Europe. So nobody's safe yet. Okay, we need to take a quick break. Amber will be back in just a minute. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. It's really interesting to watch the children. We only have about seven on board. But, you know, today they were playing thumb wars. They were racing back and forth on the deck. High fives, hugs, handshakes. I wonder if they'll be young enough not to remember this experience um, and, and the trauma that likely comes with it. It's amazing how resilient some children are, or at least how they appear. Who knows for sure what the long-term effects um, will be on them. But it was refreshing to, to see the smiles and the excitement and the light in their eyes um, today. I guess kids will be kids, and they don't know any better for the situation that they're in. And as long as they're being loved. I'm not sure if I spoke about the process yet for embarkation of our guests and the refugees after they had been rescued um, from their boats and brought on the ribs to the mothership. Everybody was given a bracelet with a number on them so they could be identified at a later date and we could keep track of who's eaten, uh, who's received blankets, who's received mats, you know, if there's been any medical attention. So it seems a bit inhumane and like hurting cattle because everybody goes by a number Um, and sometimes I would feel guilty being on food distribution and they would come up and you're asking for their number and it's on their wrist and they have to have it with them at all times and you're just checking them off like cattle. Obviously, we've managed to learn some names depending on how social and engaged individuals have been, but to learn and remember all faces and names in various languages, um, it's just just not possible. So it's just part of the process. Yeah, very happy. We would, we would have a list 
And if somebody missed more than two meals in a row, we would go looking for them because that's, you know, what's going on. Are they sick? Or uh, did they jump off the ship? Are they... So it was, it was just a piece that needed to be part of it. It didn't take away from their being human. Today was washing day when I got up and I went outside. It was like, it was like a party. There was Egyptian music playing and a bunch of the young men were dancing. There was wash tubs out and everybody was cleaning their clothes. Extra lines were up for everybody hanging them. Uh, yeah, just a really positive, happier atmosphere. Um, for the morning and afternoon and it was so nice to see and just people in a routine in their natural element and I think it set a really good tone uh, throughout the whole crowd and, and the boat as a whole. Well, we have officially asked for a port of safety in Italy. We are just transiting south a bit more. I guess really what I'm feeling is, did we do enough? Um, we're on our return route back, uh, but we've stood down our SAR watch. Like why, why do that? Why not have one person up top still taking a lookout during the day? You know, maybe there's still people out there. Yes, likely no, there's going to be no new crossings well, like departures while the weather is getting rough. I guess personally I'm just feeling like, is there not more we can do um, to at least look uh, while, we're, while we're on our way back? So uh, myself and one of the other crew members are likely going to be in our spare time and our downtime where we're supposed to be resting. Um, we're just going to go up anyways and and keep a good lookout just in case anybody else is still out there. I also felt helpless and like things were out of my control when we were forced to leave the SAR zone because heavy weather was coming in and the, you know, the master made the decision that we can't stay here um, because, you know, we're going to we're going to be stuck in the storm and and other people like we've got 200 plus people on board already and so he made the call and for me I was like well there's there's still people out here there's still boats like we should still be searching and that was really hard to to digest but it it that wasn't my call um so I struggled with that a bit sort of like being there we're here why can't why can't we just help everybody and you can't. You can't help everybody. In high school, I remember um, really wanting to go to a party that was in the cove over. And all my friends were going, and I wanted to be there. And, and I had asked my parents if I could take the boat over and go to this party and you know I won't drink and I'll come back and uh, they didn't end up letting me go 
Early the next morning, we found out that some people from that party died. And um, somebody had made a decision to, they were going to go drop people off at the end of the night back in town. Again, only like a 10-minute boat ride. But it was dark. It was rough. People were doing what teenagers do. And uh, the boat flipped and people fell out. And um, we, we lost a couple of our senior classmates uh, that year. Uh, I think the driver of the boat survived just by hanging on to one of the buoys that was outside the cove. But it was a pretty, it was a pretty big thing. It impacted a lot of the students. I just remember thinking to myself, like, that could have been me. I could have been at that party. I, I might have volunteered to, to drive somebody home because I had a boat. Something similar happened to a group of students from our school. I think it was later that year or the next year. Again, I had a friend that like demanded to her mom that she wanted to go with this group of people. She didn't let her go. That boat capsized and everybody died. So, yeah. So she's, uh, shit happens and shit happens fast. Um, and I think it, it was then that, you know, growing up in the water, I was just like, oh, well, I take a boat every day. I'll be fine. I know how to drive a boat. Um, but no, that's, that's, that's not, it's not how it works. Even the most experienced people um, can get into trouble. Yeah. I mean, clearly you can see this is like 20, 25 years later. It still uh, resonates with me. So I think, um, I think it's played a part for sure. Unfortunately, we lost a couple targets to the Libyan Coast Guard. Um, one for sure that we came across at the end of day yesterday, which was empty. So either Libyan Coast Guard or other authorities. And uh, the other two that we were hoping to eventually get to were captured. So definitely a bit of a somber moment coming across the empty boat yesterday. Very silent very surreal and um, yeah, really sad. When NGOs uh, do rescues, what we do with whatever's left of the boat is we spray paint SAR on it, like S-A-R, and the date so that anybody else that comes along, if they see an empty boat or capsized boat, they know that it was another organization and somebody was there and somebody helped them. So uh, it doesn't turn into a missing persons or lost lives at sea stats. There was nothing like this on this boat. It was just emptied and left. Uh, and it was, it was really hard to see. And, you know, after that, the energy on board was like, it was low. And um, just everybody... I think processing in their own way, like we couldn't help these people. We didn't make it in time. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough to deal with. 
Well, it's 10 to 4 in the morning on the 21st of December. I'm just finishing my night watch shift for deck watch of our guests. And I'm almost wide awake again, but I really need to catch up on some sleep. Um, feels like all we do is work, sleep, eat, work, sleep, eat. Um, starting to get a little bit depressing, but then we look around us and our lives are, we're so fortunate compared to, to those we've, we've rescued that are on board. So time to suck it up and get some shed eye, do it all again tomorrow. I was really excited when I woke up for my shift this morning at quarter to two. I thought it felt like the ship was going faster, which usually means that you're headed somewhere. And um, we weren't. We were still in the same location, which is actually really an odd feeling when you're at sea. Typically, if you're on a ship, you're always moving, traveling, transiting somewhere. So it's been really odd to be on a ship at sea underway and seeing the same island and land over and over and over again uh, for the last few days. Here's hoping that by the time I wake up tomorrow mid-morning that um, maybe we have some good news, a port of safety, and um, we can start getting these people into their hopefully new lives. The closest port would have been Tunisia and Libya. They are not considered by definition under the law safe. So therefore, we, we can't return them there. That's why, based on the area that we were in, the closest safe port was Italy. And that's why the ask goes then to um, the rescue center in Rome in Italy. And then they sort of, they have to go through the process and make the decision. Tensions were definitely a bit high across the crew yesterday. I think uh, burnout and exhaustion is catching up with most. Um, I saw some tears. I saw some nervous laughter. Uh, some sleep-deprived hilarity. All, all those sorts of, of things start to come out. Um, I know everybody signed up because they want to do their part and they want to help, but it's okay to take a break. Still going back and forth off the coast of Sicily, waiting for a port of safety to be granted. Yesterday, we medevaced um, two individuals and their partners, one pregnant woman and um, one older man with some heart problems and seizures, suffering from severe withdrawal from uh, tobacco and possibly some other substances. So everything was going smoothly uh, and then that. So it was good that the authorities worked together with us 
though they didn't seem overly friendly, the Italian Coast Guard when they came out. Um, but at least these individuals are, are now safe. Everybody sees the medevac and everybody sees the broken leg and but there's a lot that you don't see and there's a lot of emotional and traumatical stuff that you don't see that's yeah the mental is huge um so you can see it on some people and other people are really good just like in our lives at hiding it so um our, our medical team our hospital was busy there was always at least one person in there and there was always a lineup to go in. Good morning. It is December 22nd. Here, anyways. Um, this morning's briefing included the fact that if we don't get a port of safety granted to us by tomorrow at noon or more realistically by today. And if we don't leave uh, back to Spain by tomorrow at noon, that we will likely be trapped here for another week or so due to um, some extreme winter storms coming through the Mediterranean. So uh, patients are growing thin for some of the crew. Um, we've got all the time in the world for those that are pitching in and helping out but those individuals that are just taking things for granted um, this isn't a cruise and we're all in this together so I, I don't really know what to do about that but definitely frustrating and bothers me we had a meeting and we're basically told to do an inventory of the food to start rationing the water um, the rest of the supplies, we need to get a bit more creative on if we were going to have guests on board for the next five plus days, no entertainment to keep them busy, um, making sure that we're rationing water, uh, all while maintaining crowd control, um, because we don't want anybody jumping overboard. There's the possibility that, um, there's some threats of potentially committing suicide if, if, if they don't get their way. I feel like it's going to be a long next week, a long, a long five to seven days for sure. Playing the waiting game was, it sucked. It, it was, it was rough. Um, and not being able to like give people hope and like confidence and let them know like, this is the next step. It's going to be all okay. It's going to be, we don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen next. Like our part of the job was done. Like we, we saved people that were in danger at sea and you deliver them to the closest safe port, just like you would in any search and rescue situation. The difference is that back here in Canada, I know they're going home for the night to their beds and here we don't really know. So yeah. We gathered all the guests on board, all the guests to sit down on the lower deck. And our Pratt Co, uh, she, Tiggs, she was in charge of sort of the post care for, for our guests. And she was standing up, t 
tall and she's just a petite girl <laughs> and just getting everybody's attention and we knew it was going to be said but uh the guests didn't so first in english she announced we have a port of safety and everybody starts cheering and um like they're not sitting anymore they're jumping hands are in the air they're hugging each other they're hugging us there's high fives um i think a couple of us had kids on our shoulders it's just a super emotional piece um one of the funny things though is that obviously not everybody speaks english so we said it again she said it again in french and then we had to have there was a couple of people i remember somebody tapping somebody on the shoulder being like what's going on and he they he told him and that it was just you know hugging everybody whether you were strangers or or friends and the mood on the ship just like improved in that second it was it was so amazing Well, after today's announcement, everybody was in a much better mood, very friendly, and uh, for dinner we decided to do something special. So everybody got fruit cups, which is pretty huge as there's been almost no sugar in anything they've received. And uh, we, the cooks made 40 kilos of rice. Um, so everybody should be going to bed uh, happy with a full belly tonight. I'm on the upper deck right now. The sounds you're hearing is the tarps flapping in the wind. So we were fortunate it didn't end up raining overnight and we actually have a gorgeous sunshiny day outside and we're full steam ahead heading eastward to our port of safety should be about 11 hours or so so we we traveled uh overnight and arrived uh early that morning and uh, we had to make sure that we had everybody uh, all our guests on board um sort of Everybody had to go uh, back in, in the containers and just, like, step back. We didn't want anybody jumping and, and like, okay, we're, we're there. You're almost there. Just, you know, hang on for, for a bit longer. And uh, we put out the gangway. So the gangway is basically the ramp that goes from the ship onto the shore. Uh, they had their personal belongings. And, yeah, they, they just they made their way off the ship and onto a bus that was waiting for them. So, again, there was lots of fist bumps and high fives and hugs and all those sorts of good things. Wow, it's been a day. Some really moving moments as we said farewell. We had tears of joy. Um... We had laughter. Uh, we had individuals that think we're still maybe traumatized and indifferent. We had one individual who was actually sad to leave the crew and the team. He was so grateful 
for everything that um, we had done for him and rescuing him and helping him start this new life that he was yeah just really really sad to leave um, to leave us uh, I think at one point he'd indicated he's he's hopeful that he will um, maybe be able to uh, volunteer at some point in the future as um, uh, he often helped us with Arabic and English translation so yeah really good individual really tight with the medical team um, but true tears of sadness for for departing even though this is the start of his brand new life um, many of us didn't know ourselves whether we should cry or laugh it was definitely an emotional day um, but wishing everybody farewell and and good wishes and a promise for a better future we also had an individual he he spoke in English that again super grateful that he would pray for us he would never forget us uh, that he would have his parents pray for us um, really really moving you know that we didn't even learn everybody's name and somehow there is this this connection fine balance between trying not to get too attached and too emotionally involved because you might never see these people again but they weren't just numbers you know I don't I don't have money to 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 donate to good causes I don't have you know other expertise but I do have this it makes me feel feel good to be able to to help if I was in trouble I'd want I'd want to make sure there was somebody out there that would be able to come and help me so yeah Amber Shays Green that documentary was produced by Leisha Grabinski it was edited by Allison Cook and made through the CBC Doc Mentorship Program. Amber's team took photos and videos from some of their rescue efforts. You actually heard the audio of some of those videos in the doc, courtesy of Refugee Rescue. You can find those at cbc.ca slash docproject. They are heart-stopping to see. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Joan Weber, Tanera McLean, and me. Althea Manassen is our digital producer, and our acting senior producer is Allison Cook. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.